3: Every once in a while, a meteor flashes through the skies and falls into the ocean. Fortunately for us, the ball of fire we have as our guest missed the ocean and landed at 20th Century Fox. So I give you the two most exciting words in the modern dictionary: Marilyn Monroe! There's enough toxins in your body, the equivalent to 60 to 70 pills, that could kill several people.
2: That comment that she just made, say goodbye to everybody Why is she saying goodbye.
0: Welcome to Part 8 of The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host, Jackie Moran. In this episode, we will focus on the events of August 4th, 1962, the night Marilyn died. Exactly what happened that Saturday evening has been the subject of nearly six decades of conjecture, conspiracy, and alleged cover-up. But for the moment, we're going to try to stick to the official version of events. Whether the official version is also the true version will be up to you to decide. Good night, Marilyn. Bye-bye. It's
2: a pleasure meeting
0: you. Marilyn Monroe had spent the last day of her life at home on Fifth Elena Drive, Brentwood, near Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. To say the preceding weeks had been eventful would be an understatement. She had started shooting Something's Got to Give with Dean Martin, and within months had been fired from that same movie.
2: Ultimately, they fired her. They actually fired her right after her 36th
3: birthday.
0: And then weeks later, not only forced the studio to rehire her, but to do so on improved terms.
3: She just signed a new contract with 20th Century. They were going to resume filming Something's Got to Give. She got more money like she asked for.
0: She still had problems with her dependence on drink and drugs, but finally, after years during which she had lost her way, something like the old Marilyn was back.
3: Marilyn seems like someone who was in August of 1962 putting her life back together, she had gotten her health back together, 20th Century Fox was going to take her back to finish, Something's Gotta Give. There was another movie laid out, she she signed a two picture deal. There was so much she had looking forward to in her life. She was planning for many, many things at the time of her death. She was not particularly depressed at this point in her life, but she was unfortunately given a lot of drugs, which was very typical of a lot of stars of that era.
0: In her final interview with Life magazine editor Richard Merriman, she sounded excited and upbeat.
4: I want to be an artist,
5: an actress, with integrity. You've read there was some actor that once said about me that kissing me was like kissing Hitler? Oh my God. Well, Well, I think that's, you know, his problem.
0: There were even signs that she was finally taking back control of her chaotic love life. The affairs with the powerful, ruthless men that had caused her so much unhappiness and who had used her as a pawn in their schemes against each other, including John F. Kennedy, his brother Bobby, Frank Sinatra, and Mafia boss Sam Giancana, had all come to a horrific head at Sinatra's Cal Neva Resort. And Marilyn's eyes had finally been opened as to their real motives.
5: Both of the Kennedys had broken up with her. She'd been involved with first Jack and then Bobby. And they weren't nice about breaking up with her. So she was really mad about that, the 24 hours before her death.
3: She really strikes me as someone who was putting her life back together. She had spent so much time and energy becoming the Marilyn Monroe we know. I really have trouble believing that she committed suicide intentionally. Maybe she caused her own death by, as I said, taking champagne and, and sleeping pills, which was something she did. So that's an easy trap to fall into.
0: After the tumultuous events of the preceding weeks, Marilyn planned to spend the weekend relaxing at home. According to the official truth, only four people saw her alive that Saturday. The photographer Lawrence Schiller, with whom she discussed the possibility of Playboy publishing nude photos of her taken on the set of Something's Got to Give, her housekeeper Eunice Murray, her psychiatrist Dr. Ralph Greenson, and her publicist Patricia Newcomb. The latter three were to have central roles in her death and subsequent conspiracy theories.
2: Patricia Newcomb was one of Marilyn's press agents, but more than that, they became very close friends in Marilyn's final two years.
0: The pair may have been friends, but they were also rivals. Here's entertainment journalist Charles Casillo.
2: No one could really compete with Marilyn Monroe, but Pat Newcomb was a little bit younger and she was attractive and she was smart. So some people nicknamed Pat Newcomb Sybil for Sybil rivalry. Marilyn came to believe that Robert Kennedy was having a thing with Patricia Newcomb at the same time. Whether it happened or not, We weren't in the bedroom, but Marilyn came to believe it. So in her mind, it was so. She was livid. She was furious because here she was, the most beautiful woman in the world, getting the attention she needed or the self-worth she needed from her affair with Bobby Kennedy.
0: We shall see later the parts that Dr. Greenson and Eunice Murray were to play that night.
1: On her bedroom phone, Marilyn placed her first call of the day. It was to Jean Carmen, her friend. Marilyn said, I'm the loneliest girl in the world. Bobby Kennedy is in San Francisco. I'm going to call him all day until he agrees to fly down and see me. We've got to have it out once and for all. She hadn't been expecting
2: to see Bobby Kennedy that night. He was in San Francisco and he was expected to fly in to go to a party at Pete Lawford's because Marilyn wanted to see him in person. She wanted to have that. You know, as many people at the end of a relationship or when it's ending, it's like, I want you to tell me to my face.
0: The Kennedys have always maintained that Bobby and Marilyn did not meet in person on her last day alive.
5: There is evidence that Bobby was in Beverly Hills at the time she died, but it's not tremendously helpful evidence. We know that she was ranting and raving at her house the day that she died about what the Kennedys had done.
2: The idea of a visit from Robert Kennedy is 50-50. If he did come, whatever he said to her, if he was there, was part of the reason that she needed to see the psychiatrist for an immediate home visit. You would surmise that it would have been something like, this is final, we have to stop, I like you, I want to be here for you, I want to help you, but we have to
1: move on from this.
0: If Bobby did not come to Brentwood, it wasn't for want of trying on her part.
1: Marilyn would place a total of six urgent calls, leaving messages for RFK, none of which were returned. Furious and convinced that he'd never call her, she phoned Peter Lawford at his beach house.
0: Marilyn, tired of being manipulated by the men in her life, had finally decided to wrest control of the situation. And she was about to unleash her nuclear option, threatening the president and attorney general of the United States.
5: She was planning to hold a conference next Monday and reveal what the Kennedys had done to her.
1: You tell him that if he doesn't fly down to see me and talk things over, he'll hear from me at my press conference Monday morning. It'll make headlines around the world, although not of the kind that would help Jack's bid for re-election. If I don't hear from him no later than six o'clock, watch me on TV. Tell Bobby to tune in. You might also call Jack at the White House. I know he has a busy schedule, but he'll have time to watch me. I plan to look dazzling. Then she put down the phone.
0: We will never know for sure exactly what Marilyn planned to announce at that press conference. After hanging up on Lawford, the star would have just hours left to live.
3: Peter Lawford, who is in the Rat Pack, but he's also one of the Kennedy brothers-in-law, is minding Marilyn for the Kennedys. They say to Peter Lawford, look, you've got to watch her. She's out of control. She's going to blab state secrets.
0: Peter Lawford also maintained he did not see Marilyn alive that day. One man who definitely did was Marilyn's psychiatrist and lover, Dr. Ralph Greenson. He arrived at 4.30 p.m. when Patricia Newcomb left and after conducting a personal therapy session in her bedroom, left again at 7 p.m. Before he left, he asked Eunice Murray to stay the night to watch over Marilyn.
2: He said after Marilyn passed, he said she was upset and depressed. He said that... One of the reasons she was so depressed was because she had been expecting to see one of the two very important men in politics that evening. And at the last minute, it fell through. She told him, here I am, the most beautiful woman in the world, and I don't have a date on Saturday night.
5: Finally, her psychiatrist, Greenson, got her to calm down and go to bed. And then she was at home alone with her housekeeper,
3: The night of August 4th, Marilyn Monroe was in her bedroom, and she was making phone calls. This was about maybe 7.30 at night. She was talking to Joe DiMaggio's son at the time. That was one of the last calls that she made.
2: Marilyn had stayed close with Joe DiMaggio's son, and he had recently gotten engaged and he broke off the engagement. And Marilyn was happy because she didn't approve of the woman that he was engaged to. She had a momentary bright spot in the evening when he called and they chatted happily about him breaking up. She was so happy about it that she called her psychiatrist, who had already left and gone home, and to say, you know, oh, I just got wonderful news. Joe DiMaggio broke up with his fiance, and I, I, I'm feeling much better now.
0: If none of this sounds particularly like the behavior of a woman driven to the ultimate act of despair, It was Marilyn's final phone call of the night that had given the most weight to the suicide theorists. On the other end of the line, Peter Lawford. Here's Lois Banner, author of Marilyn, The Passion and the Paradox.
5: She then, we know, was supposed to go to a party. The party was held, most of the guests at the party, it was at Peter Lawford's house, showed up. But she never showed up at the party.
2: Marilyn, in a famous phone call now, because Peter Lawford backed this up that it actually happened. Well, it was he's the source. He said that Marilyn said, I'm not coming. I'm staying home. Say goodbye to Bobby and say goodbye to Pat and say goodbye to the president and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. And then she drifted off.
0: According to Lawford, he was so alarmed by this, he made a series of calls eventually persuading her lawyer, Milton Rudin, to check in on her. Milton contented himself with calling Eunice Murray.
2: The housekeeper picked up and the lawyer said, is Marilyn okay? The housekeeper, not knowing any of this was going on, just looked at the door. The phone line was going under the door. And she said, yeah, she's fine. She didn't take it any further.
0: According to the official version of events, Eunice Murray would leave Marilyn undisturbed until around 3.30 Sunday morning when she suddenly woke and noticed that Marilyn's light was still on.
3: She claims that she saw a light on the threshold of the door.
0: Murray says she then called Dr. Greenson, who arrived minutes later, broke into the bedroom through a window, and called Marilyn's physician, Hyman Engelberg. And then, at around 4.30 a.m., notified the Los Angeles Police Department. It's at this point that things begin to get a little less clear. Private Detective Becky Altringer interviewed Patricia Newcomb, now 88, as part of her own investigation into Marilyn's death.
4: She said that she had been to a party earlier that night and that she went home and then that's when she received a phone call at 1.30 in the morning. She had it so down, you know. Yeah, I received a call at 1.30 in the morning. Marilyn was dead. I was upset because my friend was dead and I never saw a dead body.
0: 1.30 in the morning, but Eunice Murray said she didn't raise the alarm until at least two hours after that.
4: The only way that Pat could have seen Marilyn Monroe's body dead, laying on the bed, is if she had been there before the police had been called. When the police were called, the whole place was sealed off, so there was no way that Pat Newcomb could have seen her dead.
0: The LAPD, notified by Dr. Greenson, arrived soon after 4.30 a.m.,
3: At the death scene of Marilyn Monroe on the morning of August 5th, 1962, Sergeant Clements of the Los Angeles Police Department was the first officer to arrive at Marilyn Monroe's home. And he was kind of skeptical. He didn't really think that it was suicide. He claimed that when he entered Marilyn Monroe's bedroom, the area looked like it was staged. It was not the normal scene for a suicide victim.
1: Police Sergeant Jack Clemens was further startled to discover Eunice washing the bed linens, with new clean sheets already having been placed on Marilyn's bed and over her lifeless body. He later said, I had the eerie feeling that I'd come across a murder. It was obvious that some cover-up had begun hours before we were called.
0: Sergeant Clemens found Marilyn naked and draped across her bed, with the telephone receiver still in her hand and numerous empty bottles of painkillers lying on the bedstand. Here's John Minor, L.A. prosecutor in charge of investigating Marilyn's death.
3: The sergeant who was the first police officer on the scene should have declared the residence a crime scene. Everybody be kicked out. A complete inventory would be made of every item in there. That's the minimum that would be done in a proper investigation.
0: Instead, Marilyn was taken to the L.A. County Coroner's Office, where an autopsy was conducted that same day. We shall learn more about their findings in the next episode. For the moment, however, the news was beginning to break that the most famous woman in the world was suddenly, shockingly dead. Some reacted differently to others.
1: News of her death made headlines around the world followed by lurid speculation. Some young women even committed suicide or attempted it, wanting to die like Marilyn. Peter Lawford flew to Hyannisport, where he remained out of sight and incommunicado. In 1992, 30 years after Marilyn's death, a White House log was revealed showing that Lawford, at 6.15 a.m. California time, had placed a call to the White House and had spoken directly to the president for 20 minutes. In Washington, J. Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI, told his chief aide, Clyde Tolson, and other agents that although he felt Marilyn had been murdered, he did not plan to launch an investigation.
0: J. Edgar Hoover, who had been bugging Marilyn's house for months, was not the only one to suspect Marilyn was the victim of foul play.
3: There was no suicide note. Her hand was still clutching to the phone receiver. She was lying down naked, wrapped in the sheets. As Sergeant Clemens approached the body, he noticed several bruises and perhaps from fighting off her assailants. There was no glass where there would be liquid so she could swallow the
1: pills. Pills were scattered about, yet there was no drinking glass discovered, not even in the bathroom, which had had no running water at the time of the murder because of the repairs going on.
4: The window that Dr. Greenson claims to have broken, there was no glass inside, it was outside. How would he be able to put his arm through that window? That glass wasn't wide enough for him to put it through
3: Marilyn slept in a bra at night to keep her bus from sagging, but it was on her when they found her dead.
4: Marilyn Monroe always wore a bra to bed. Marilyn Monroe didn't have a lock on that door.
3: She had blackout curtains because she couldn't sleep, and the blackout curtains were not shut.
4: Murray says she saw Marilyn Monroe through that same exact window because she pushed the curtains open. The window was locked. And there was no way for her to push the curtains apart. So how did she see her?
1: Eunice testified that Marilyn had locked herself into her bedroom, yet there was no lock on the door.
4: Murray says she was worried that Marilyn Monroe was, uh, something was wrong with Marilyn because her light was on. Murray claims she could see underneath the door, that's false because Marilyn Monroe had just put in this really thick carpet so, there was no way that Murray could
3: have seen under the door. Marilyn took chlorohydrates hydrates with either a glass of milk or maybe a little food of champagne to get the pill down. Because of her sleeping difficulties, she had to do this every night. The so called night of her suicide, none of this was done. There was just a nude body, lifeless, lying with her face down, tangled in the sheets.
1: On the bed, Marilyn was arranged in the exact same position of one of those shots of her body in that nude calendar, Clemens said.
4: All the evidence doesn't make sense.
1: Clemens left when his superior officer arrived. Later, he telephoned James Doherty, Marilyn's ex-husband, an officer with the Los Angeles police. He had already heard the news. They finally got her, he said, without explaining who they were.
0: Marilyn Monroe was laid to rest three days after she died at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, Los Angeles, in a funeral organized by Joe DiMaggio. Only 30 of her closest family and friends were invited, by order of perhaps the only man in Marilyn's life who ever truly loved her for who she was. If Joe DiMaggio had any idea who the they that James Doherty referred to were, he certainly left some significant names off the guest list. Here's DiMaggio biographer Jerome Sharon.
3: He blamed the Kennedys. Joe DiMaggio blamed the Kennedys for Marilyn's ruin and death. That was nothing to do with having killed her. It just he felt that they took advantage of her. And he would not allow them to be at her funeral, nor would he allow Frank Sinatra. He puts roses on her grave for 10 years. And is the only person who never used her. He was devoted to her in a way and never used her, never used her fame the way Arthur Miller did, never used her talent, never used her money. Because what she said at the end of her life in her last interview, I don't want to be rich. I want to be wonderful. And this is the Marilyn that we remember. I want to be wonderful.
0: Here's reporter Robert Shackney for CBS News in August 1962.
3: This was not the extravaganza that some other Hollywood funerals had been. In fact, it wasn't really a Hollywood funeral at all. There wasn't a single movie performer present among the 27 invited guests. Absent were the famous names. And according to a publicity agent at the cemetery, some of the more noted Hollywood figures were upset when they were not invited. For example, Peter Lawford, who said he was shocked when excluded.
5: And the lawyer, we said, um, oh, he was telling me uh, about my tax deductions, my I don't know what, and about, oh, the lawyer of the 20th century clock. Well, I said, I don't know about that. I only know I want to be wonderful.
0: Next time on The Killing of Marilyn Monroe, incompetence or a cover-up?
3: the tapes that came from the bugging of Marilyn Monroe's home, they mysteriously disappeared.
4: The pathologist reports their labs were everything, her stomach content. Everything that had to do with Marilyn Monroe disappeared. Why?
3: In a good office like the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner Coroner's office, I would say it would be rare uh, for specimens uh, to be lost. It would be even more rare for them to be accidentally discarded. And then when you're talking about a major celebrity like Marilyn Monroe, (laughs) I can only tell you who rare, rare, rare.
0: The Killing of Marilyn Monroe is hosted by me, Jackie Moran, executive produced by Dylan Howard, and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Carrie Budge and written by Dominic Utton, reporting by Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada, scoring by Benstown. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe, wherever you get podcasts.
2: Jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers. Hunt for
4: muddy puddles. And bravely explore exciting places with Pepper play sets. Pepper Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.